Okay. Right, Joe. Let's see if we can get this intro correct this time. <laughs> well, hello and welcome happened. back. <laughs> we fucking failed already. <laughs> already. <laughs> it's been two seconds. <laughs> it wouldn't be wordsmithing with us if we didn't fail. <sighs> right, go. You start this time. Okay, you sure now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome back to Wordsmithing. This is episode 5. I am Rachel Rain and... I am Joe Morningstar. And this week we're talking about the parts of a book. Architecture, if you will. Well, you'd think that parts of your book would be rather simple. You know, start, finish, end. It's not that simple. You've got a lot of other stuff that you can put in if you want to. So, you have to start with your front matter, which generally is everything that goes in before your story. Some of it you don't have to have, some of it you do. Do you mean front cover, or are you meaning the more copyright terms and conditions? All of that, it comes under front matter. Well, front covers is definitely something I can talk about. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> you make mine, <laughs> and your own. <laughs> Personally, I love making front covers. It's one of my favourite things. I'm constantly adjusting my own front covers, which I really should not do as often as I do. But if you're not very creative and you don't think you are able to or what you've done you're not happy with and you like something a bit more professional, there are two ways you can do it. One, you can either pay to have your front cover done by a professional. Um, Those prices completely vary and you have no idea what you're going to get. So definitely check reviews, check what those cover artists have already done to see whether it's your sort of style. Um, And the second way you can do it is to get in contact with other book groups like author book groups on Facebook or we use Wattpad. They've got a blog where authors can contact each other and you can quite often find an author who's willing to do it either totally for free Or they'll do it in exchange for maybe you reading their book and leaving a review on their book in exchange for them giving you a free cover on your book. Which is something you do, isn't it? Yeah, that's something that I like to do just for fun because it it stops me messing with my own cover so much if I'm messing with other people's. I mean, a lot of cover artists do also have pre-made covers. So if you can go through their thing and it's already a set price, and then all they have to do then is add in your name and your, your title if you like one of their covers and then you buy the rights to it. That's yours then. Some of those, are they're usually quite cheap because they're very sort of generic book covers. They literally just reel them off and you, you're just putting your name in it. They don't have to spend so much time creating it from scratch. There are some things you need to think about when choosing your cover for your book. Have a look at other books in your genre and see what kind of covers they have and do something not the same but similar that but will stand out because people looking to read a romance book expect a certain type of cover generally so you want to fit in to a degree with that otherwise they may just overlook your book thinking it's completely different genre and they don't want to read it and obviously with the digital age your cover has got to look good as a thumbnail. Some are too detailed and don't shrink that well. 
but then also you've got the opposite some are really great small but don't work so much when they're big and also you've got to consider that if you're ebooking a lot of your covers may be color but on your e-reader they'll be black and white so if it's too dark it may not work quite so well i mean what i'm going to do in the facebook group is put a link to another set of indie authors uh, and their website sterling and stone because they've done a whole article on this which is where I've got a lot of this information from. So you can read through it in more detail and see what they consider to be essential, non-essential. Okay, after the cover, you can, if you choose to, have your title page. So title page, I consider it as, um, it's like your front cover without the colours. Yeah, basically, it's just your title, your name. If you want to, you can add in uh, your publisher. If you are your own publisher, you can give yourself a fancy publishing name. So, yeah, that's pretty straightforward. You can put one in, you don't have to. And then after that, you have your copyright page. Most books you will find will have one in. The copyright actually starts from the time you first press save on your work. Then it's copyrighted to you. That's your work, you wrote it. So you don't have to put it in if you don't want to. I guess with the copyright page and with the front cover for indie authors who are going to be self-publishing, those types of things will make your book look very clean, professional, and like, I don't want to say proper book, because any book is a proper book, but people feel like your book is going to be good if you have these extra bits added in, because they associate it with a professional, traditional publisher. Yeah, that's exactly right. But you don't have to worry about the wordage if you don't want to, because most places where you upload your ebook, if you want to do that, will give you the option of adding a copyright page in, which they'll do for you with standard wordage. But even if not, you can literally just type it into the internet. Just put in a book copyright page and then just fill in the information that's relevant to you. Um, which will literally just be whatever pen name you're using and the title of the book, and that's it. It's really easy. So, next, another optional, is your dedication. If you want to put a dedication into, like, my loving wife, partner, husband, dog, whoever, you can do this here. It can just be as simple as a name, or it can be something a little bit longer. Thanks for putting up with my crazy shit while I wrote this. Most dedications will probably have absolutely no impact on the reader whatsoever. The dedication is a message from the author to whoever the dedication is for. I mean, I have put one in one of my books because it was inspired by the person I've dedicated it to. The dedication for my first book was very much to who I owed the creation of my first book to, but... Word of warning on dedications is that um, particularly if your family or friends are very much involved in you as an author and very supportive, they do tend to get a little bit offended if you haven't put them in the dedication. Oh, but there is a solution for that when we get to back matter, which is where that sort of thing would normally go. Gotta love a loophole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then... You can have an epigraph. What the hell is an epigraph? Yeah, I didn't know what one of these was until I did this research. (laughs) 
Don't tell them that, Joe. We're supposed to know what we're doing. Oh no, wait, that's the point, isn't it? We have no idea what we're doing. Yeah, they're learning with us. We're making the mistakes so they don't have to. So yeah, it's a quote that reflects the mood of your book. That's it. You can use one, you cannot, but obviously be careful with some quotes because if it's a musical quote, you're probably not going to get chased up on it, but there's only a certain amount of lyrics you can use before it's an issue, a copyright issue. Same with other things. So if you're using a, a dead quote from a public domain, then you're usually all right. If it's some, something from someone who's still alive, you might have an issue. Or it could just be something you made up yourself. I have actually done that. But now you know what it's called. Yeah, well, I can't remember. What was it? <laughs> I've forgotten already. An epitaph. <laughs> An epigraph. Epigraph. I was going to say, epitaph's that thing they put on gravestones. Yes, epigraph. It's the, the living <laughs> one. <laughs> Graph if you're alive, tough if you're dead. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and then you can have a table of content. So in ebooks, this is generally auto-generated when you upload. It just makes it easier for your readers to jump between chapters if that's what they want to do or whatever. But it's usually not essential, but very popular for a non-fiction book because it makes it so much easier for people to get to the info, bit, info that they want to. And then we're almost done with the front matter. Last one, preface. It's in reference to your book and its creation or its creation but not about the book as such, not about the story. So you don't confuse that with a prologue because that's a different thing entirely. We're getting to that. But that was it for the front matter. As a reader, and I think most readers are like this, I like to know there's front matter there because it looks professional, but I don't really care. I don't read the front matter. Sometimes I don't even read the dedication because it, it's not for me. That is very much personal to the author. The only thing I'd probably care about is, um, despite what your teachers and your parents and whoever has told you people do judge a book by the cover so you need the cover to be good eye-catching look professional and tell the reader roughly what they're going to expect from your story as in like you can definitely tell if it's a romance novel if it's a fantasy novel you can tell all of that from the cover yeah or if it's a porn book you know there's like ripping bodices or naked giraffe girls you know you're probably going to have some nakedness in that book usually a you know a buff guy with a six-pack if he's covered in tattoos that means he's probably a werewolf slim and mysterious looking vampire <laughs> <laughs> yeah if he's hanging over a woman's neck he's probably a vampire i'm totally writing one now which has got a buff guy with a six-pack an actual literal six-pack of beer and he's going to be a werewolf <laughs> He's got to be covered in tats. That's that's the thing. He's got to be covered in tattoos. Maybe I'll, I'm going to swap swap them. The skinny guy who looks mysterious, he's going to be the werewolf. The guy covered in tats with a six-pack, he's, he's a vampire. You can get around that by putting a full moon behind the skinny guy, and that'll tell you he's a werewolf. I would say the front cover is definitely a place where you probably do want to focus on stereotypes. Yeah. I'm going into covers again, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll stop talking. No, you carry on. 
Can I finish that thought and then we'll move on to the body of the book? I was just going to say that it's worth looking up the connotations of colours. Orange and yellow are two colours that the human eye are naturally drawn to first. Like, your book is orange, Joe, so... um. It's very eye-catching. If it was on a shelf of books, the human eye would just naturally be drawn to your book first, and that's what you want. Yeah, also, red's a funny colour, because represents danger, but it also represents passion. And I think combination of red-yellow is also very... It makes you hungry, which is why fast food joints always have red and yellow signs. I've heard that the colour red also makes you need to pee, but I don't know how true that is. I don't know. I would have thought more blues would do that. All sorts of marketing, which we'll do separately, is psychological warfare against whoever you're trying to market to, which is why that is a big topic on its own, and we'll get to that later. But for now, we're going to go on to the body of the book. Now, you might think this is, oh, this is obvious, this is just your story. Not quite so much. Because you've got your main bo- part of your body. Main part of your body? Main part of your book. <laughs> oh, what, what's the main part of your body, Joe? Your boobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Although my tummy is catching up to those now. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, if, you, if your stomach is larger than your boobs, then um, maybe you need to check yourself. <laughs> yeah. Stop drinking cider. Get addicted to the gym. And that gym... Not gin. Ah, but is that gym with a G-Y or gym with a J-I? Because that exercise could be a lot more fun. What, a gym? As in a male? Yes. (laughs) Depends on the gym. (laughs) True, true. Anyway, so, your prologue. Many stories have these. Is it necessary? (laughs) Depends on your story, really. The prologue generally will be in a different time and place from your normal book. So if you're writing in third person, but third person, I think it's called over shoulder third person, where you're just following one character around, you're not going to cover the rest of the characters. The prologue is a really good introduction to one of your sub characters who's going to be key, but you'll never really know what they're thinking. You know, if you've got like a bad guy to kind of show what the bad guy's up to in the background so the reader will have that in the back of their mind as they're reading the book. It can also give some explanatory information to your reader so that they understand the story. It might be a scene that's not actually in your timeline but happens before. Or it could also be clarifying something that does happen during the timeline of your main story. There is a trick that some authors do which... I personally absolutely hate and wouldn't encourage which is they'll take a chapter from the end of their book that is really you know that's right in the middle of the action and you know the really gripping suspense they'll take that out and put that at the front of the book as the prologue I hate that I hate that as well it's I get it. It's a way to engage the readers so that they're like okay I want to know what happened here I want to get to the end of the book to know what happened Me personally, I think that your book from the off should be gripping enough that you don't need to try and encourage readers to get to the end. You should already have them engaged from chapter one. 
I once heard someone say that they don't even read the prologue. They skip it entirely, which I think is a really bad idea from a reader's point of view. And the reason why he did that was because he read a lot of fantasy. Quite often fantasy, talking like high fantasy authors, where you've got a proper world, quite a lot of the time in the beginning, their prologue will be explaining the world. And that can be a little bit boring. It's an information dump, which you'd want to avoid if you can. But you can also use your prologue to, if you're like in a second or third in the series, to recap the previous books so people can catch up if they haven't reread them or they had to wait a time for the next book to come out. If you are trying to do it in a way that will introduce your world, if you're writing something where, um, you know, there's some key maybe magical elements and that makes up your entire storyline and your world and it's really important. I always think with stuff like that, a war is a really good way. (laughs) You know, if you're making a world that's got a really long history, if the world's sort of based kind of on our world, then there's always someone fighting somewhere. So if you're introducing the mechanics of a magical element of your book, then a war's a really good way to have everyone using their magic and maybe someone dies because they use too much magic or, you know, something like that. Yeah. And then it's outlawed or whatever. But again, you know, as Joe said at the beginning, you can skip the prologue entirely. You can go straight into your into your story. If you don't feel you need a prologue, don't feel like you have to add one. It's totally optional. And then you have the story, the bit we've all been waiting for. I think this one's obvious. We don't really need to go into that. You know what your story is or why. Without it, you have no book, right? But we should definitely talk about how you split your story up. Oh, yep, getting there. That's the next point. (laughs) (laughs) I jumped the gun. It's because you've got all the questions today and I've just sat here going, yeah. (laughs) Yes, because somebody did research for the the episode and somebody else didn't. (laughs) Well, you know, somebody was working. That's true. And my day job hasn't really got back into the swing of things at this moment in time because nobody wants me in their house skulking around. Spreading your germs. Yeah. Well, one person does because I was in there today. Licking everything. Yes, and they paid me extra. (laughs) (laughs) Not because I was licking everything. Don't say that. I don't want to hear about you licking people for money. (laughs) I wasn't licking people for money. Besides, the person who normally employs me wasn't there, his wife was, which makes it worse. <laughs> so she, she paid you extra today, didn't yeah, she, she did. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, listeners, <laughs> going back to yesterday, or last week's episode, no, week two's episode, where do I get my inspiration from? I only have to talk to Ray. <laughs> anyway so obvious part the story how do you break your story up chapters generally a good way of doing it chapters are a great way of moving the story on and cutting out big blocks of useless time like you don't need to put oh yeah he got up every day he brushed his teeth he put his underpants on 
And the next day he did exactly the same, because it's really fucking boring. <laughs> I mean, I have read some books that don't have chapters in. Shorter books that can work for, I think, to a point. But they're also great for stopping points. I like to read to the end of a chapter before I stop reading, because I hate stopping in the middle of the chapter. Yeah, I agree. I was reading, it was actually a Terry Pratchett book, which I have been desperately trying to remember the name of all this week. But it was only probably about halfway through the book that I realised I'm never going to reach the end of the chapter because there are no chapters. It's like parts or sections of your books. I know you know about parts because you've done this in yours, but I think they can be handy for longer books. And I believe Lord of the Rings was actually supposed to be, according to the author I heard or read or something, that the three books in Lord of the Rings aren't actually books on their own. They're three parts to one book. But being so large, they were published separately. Parts of the book, I mean, I can't particularly explain a reason why you would do it. Most of the time, again, um, you'd use it as a big passage of time. Or sometimes I'd end a part on a really big bit of action. And then I know that my next chapter is going to be no action whatsoever. So I'll maybe put part drop in there. Yeah. I mean, the other thing you could do is like maybe part one could be the story from this person's point of view. Part two could be the story from another character's point of view. And then part three was when they meet up together. And then the story continues with both of them on the same timeline, possibly. But that's up to you how you want to write your story or whatever, if you want to put them in. A lot of this is um, totally personal preference. It's just different ways of doing it and why people do it. And you need to think about these sorts of things. And don't just do it because you think that that's how it should be done. Do it if it's relevant to you and it's going to work for you. I will put a little word of warning in here as well is that I'm quite OCD so when I realised that part one after I wrote it happened to be 13 chapters I was like well then part two has to be 13 chapters and part three has to be 13 chapters and it was so unbelievably restrictive that I ended up writing in a load of filler just to fill a chapter that didn't need to be in there so definitely be careful of that. If you've got OCD like I do, try to write your book before you put the chapters and parts in there and then add that in afterwards. So after you've got your parts, we have the epilogue. Again, a not essential piece. But this is basically the reverse of your prologue. So it could be recapping your story or finishing your story like a few years after the main part of the book like oh they lived happily ever after or they got married then they got divorced or whatever whatever sometimes it's quite a good indication that there's going to be a sequel yeah and there's no reason why you couldn't put your epilogue from your first book as a prologue for the second book if it gave the information you wanted from the first yeah and then guess what we're on the final hurdle last stretch I'm rubbing the desk and look really, really weird. I know, that's going to really mess with the signal as well. Like, literally probably all anyone hears is you, like, moving your pots and, like, putting your cider down, turning a page. I tried to do it quietly. 
<sighs> Just wait till I get the really good mic. You'll hear everything. <laughs> For the benefit of the listeners, Joe is still using a cup and string as her microphone. <laughs> I've been waiting for ages to make that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I got <Yes>. it in. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Which is why I might sound a little tinny. Which is why I have to spend so long trying to fix it, and it still <laughs> comes out sounding crap. <laughs> right, you're back, Matter. I think, first and foremost... A call to action, and it's a relatively new thing as well, and I think it is essential for us indie authors. Your call for action would be to ask your readers to leave you a review, maybe join your mailing list, or point them in direction of your social media so they can follow you there, or even say, look, you've read this book, you liked it, try this one, or the sequel's here, the rest of the series, or this is where my other work is. It's basically getting your readers to spend more money. And websites as well it's also great to put your website in there it works really well for an ebook because generally it'll be a link that someone can literally just click on and go straight there it's a little bit more difficult if it's a um a print book but it all adds to the professionalism that you want yeah i mean it's not really an official part to a book but i think it's becoming more so now because there are more electronic books on the shelves so to speak and a lot more indie authors yeah and we need all the help we can get so write those reviews people we need them it takes you two seconds to click five stars and then type was good or something a more elaborate is preferential but was good will suffice if you're short on time i mean we know that writing reviews is hard or can be hard so just all you have to do is say, I really like this book because, or I like this character, or I couldn't put it down. It doesn't have to be, or even if you didn't like it, we want honest reviews. They don't have to be good reviews. If you didn't like it, say so. Because that will stop someone else picking up the book and then thinking, well, this was shit, and then writing a bad review. So we get less bad reviews if you write a bad one, if you didn't like it. Which seems really counterproductive, but we want good reviews. So we only want people to buy it who wants to read it. That makes sense. Yeah, I've I've got some really good tips on how to deal with reviews, but I'll put that in the the marketing side. And then you can have your author's note. This one is also optional. A lot of this is optional. I suppose the only really unoptional part is the main part of your book, your story. Yeah, you can't just put in front matter and back matter and a cover and go done. Buy this. Maybe that would work. Maybe we should try that. Yeah. I think someone did do that. The title of the book, if I remember rightly, was Everything Men Know About Women. And it was basically like 10 blank pages or something ridiculously stupid like that. It was just a book of blank pages. That is brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, why don't we think about it? (laughs) Yeah, that is a brilliant marketing technique. I love that. Yeah. Well, your your author's note would be would give gives you the opportunity to let your readers know more about you and your processes. It's not the same as an author bio. It's more personal. Your author bio should really be written in third person. Okay, so 
acknowledgements. This is the bit we were talking about. This is the bit where you say thank you to all those people in your family who helped you or not helped you or whatever. You say thank you to mum, dad, brother, sister, blah, blah, blah. You put up with me while I wrote this book. And that way you don't piss them off because you didn't dedicate the book to them because you can just put every name in there. Yes, which is something that I really should have done for Dead Tempted because I dedicated it to my in-laws who were very, very supportive while I wrote the book and who supported me on my first book. Um, And my family got a little bit upset about that, that I didn't mention them because they raised me. But my dedication was not about who raised me, it was about my book. So, yeah, this is the acknowledgement is where you would put that if someone gave you... You could even mention your editor if you've got one. Or your book cover designer. Even if someone's done it for you for free, it can be quite nice just to put a little mention in there. Like, someone did that for me once. Just thank you, Rachel, for a brilliant cover. Yeah, now I'm just checking mine because I'm sure I put it in there, but... (laughs) It wasn't Joe. No, it wasn't. (laughs) That wasn't me hinting. Sometimes it'd be nice just to get mentioned. (laughs) No, I thought I had, but... Yeah, but you've wrote me into your book, so that counts. Well, yeah, I could have sworn I'd put it in, but it's not in the latest version of the paperback, so maybe I need to change that. That's the good thing about being friends with another author, is that we both know how much of a pain it is to try and please everyone, so we don't feel the need to have to mention each other because we know that we appreciate each other. Yes, because, let's face it, one of your your fairly main characters would be dead if you hadn't let me read your book before you published it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'll tell that story. (laughs) So, basically, one of my main characters, who's actually my favourite character in my own book you can have favorites not like having kids you don't have to love all of them basically he fell into some water with a rope around his neck and they pull him out by pulling on the rope and joe very cleverly pointed out that if you pull someone out of a body of water by the rope wrapped around their neck they'll probably be dead before you get them out of the water you strangled him. <laughs> His neck's probably broken. <laughs> He's fine. He's fine. Just put him back on place. He's fine. So, yeah, but this other character's magic. You could bring him back. <laughs> yeah, so please, everybody, please your public, please your families. Don't be worried that it will be boring and you don't want to put it in there because you don't want people to think, why is that in there? I don't want to read that. Because the only people who are going to read your acknowledgements are the people in those acknowledgements. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I skim through them, but not always. Although I... Yeah, I did that the other day. I was reading a book and I skimmed through the acknowledgements and saw my name. It's like, where's my name there? Oh yeah, I mean, it's beta reader. I didn't know he did it. He'd done it. He didn't say that he'd, he'd done that in his book, so I didn't realise until I saw my name. It's like weird. Oh, that's quite nice. Yeah. And then, okay, after your acknowledgements, you can have glossaries. 
So your glossary is a list of terms used in your book, so you don't need it, but if you've got a lot of made up language, maybe you might want to put that, put little stars next to it and then you have it in the back. It's not necessary. I think most people can work it out from the context of the sentence. Like everyone knows what you mean when you say frick. Yeah, that's definitely a style choice as well. If you're choosing to add elements of different languages in there, could be real languages, could be fake languages. You can either add to the translation in the glossary, you can leave it out like Joe says, people know what they mean, or you can write it into the book as a straight translation. Have we got anything else? No, I think that is it. Wow. Well, we did actually cover quite a lot in architecture. I thought it was just going to be like, this is the front cover, this is the back cover, and we're done. Like I said earlier, most of this information I got from writing my own books and from reading many, many books, and also from the article I mentioned from Sterling and Stone. And the guys who started Sterling and Stone, Johnny B. Chuan and Sean Platt and David Wright, write fantastically good fiction books and they've written some for writers as well some non-fiction stuff so i'll check them out because they're good and if you think unicorns and westerns don't go together read unicorn western there's a whole series there's nine of them they're actually quite good i, th- I think i downloaded it originally because I, the cover that i saw didn't really attract me but it had unicorns in the title and i thought oh, i should probably read that because apparently i really like unicorns and then i met edward the unicorn and I love that unicorn. He is so cool. What do you mean, apparently you really like unicorns? I could probably count ten unicorn memorabilia (laughs) in your room that you're sat in right now. (laughs) And you reckon, apparently, you like unicorns. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When I had that book, it was on my e-reader for ages and ages and ages before I actually got around to reading it. And then I'm like, why didn't I read this sooner? It's hilarious. Not that we're plugging everybody else. (laughs) We're supporting our fellow authors. Yes, because they are two indie authors that have actually made it and live off their books, which is where we want to be. Um, So, episode six is going to be about writer's block, which is probably words that you've heard all the time. So this is going to be about what is writer's block and some tips for getting over it. So, Joe. How are we going to professionally say goodbye to our listeners this week instead of telling them to fuck off? Um, thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Please leave us a five-star review because algorithms. You don't have to say anything. Tell me your favourite colour or whatever. Actually, no, don't do that. Tell me your favourite alcoholic beverage because I need more. <laughs> and uh, check out the Facebook group. All the information we've spoken about today will be in there. I will give you the link to... I'm probably not going to type out everything that I've wrote. I'll just put the link in for whatever. And maybe some other bits. Memes. Ah, I can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> now I just need to learn how to say familiarity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> familiarity. Familiarity. Familiar... I'll get it next week. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to do it every week until you get it right. Oh, no. <laughs> and on that note, see you next week. See you next Bye. week. Bye. <laughs>